My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I've got the distinct honor of interviewing LaFontaine Dorval, who is a Miami-Dade fire rescue firefighter. He's a 14-year veteran of the fire service and has spent the majority of his career in Miami-Dade's 5th Battalion at Firehouse 7. Currently, he's on a Charlie tour serving as the dedicated nozzleman. Um, he was recruited to join Miami-Dade Fire Rescue's recruit training program as an instructor. Uh, we're, so it, it's interesting because I became aware of LaFontaine through my good friend, Mike Yetter, who is a captain with Miami-Dade Fire Rescue. He was actually one of my first guests on the show. Um, that show. And it's interesting because you know he's such a smart ass and he's got like this sense of humor um but he's just his passion for the job and his professionalism and his dedication uh to the people that he leads is is it's something that i was trying to capture in these interviews and for whatever reason i don't feel like either one of the interviews, you could really get a sense of how funny he is. So, but- Yeah, he is hilarious, man. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the things he says, you're just like, what? Yeah. Like, I can't believe you just said that in the middle of this meeting or something like that. Like, <laughs> But he is, uh, he's the main reason, like, so he sent me a couple of videos of you and, uh, like you training recruits and like, you know, just hyping them up. And it, it's, it's just awesome to, I, I think it's somewhat unique that, you know, Miami-Dade Fire Rescue has firefighters training firefighters. Whereas I think a lot of departments use uh, officers, whether they're lieutenants or captains, to train new recruits, but I think the coolest thing about that, not to cut you off, is just that um, the coolest thing about that with firefighters training firefighters is when we go out, we'll be in operations and we'll be the same level. The only thing that separates us is our uh, level of experience. Yeah. But it's so cool to get that type of training from a fireman. I mean, we're the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, some officers come in, they're too uh, badge heavy. Um, and they're not teaching it the right way, man. <laughs> so, I mean, I just want to teach from my heart everything I got. So, well, I, I know Mike has uh, just, 
you know, I've met people all over the country in the fire service that, that know Mike and have a great deal of respect for him. And, you know, I, I know him, I know his character and I know his, his standard. And um, for him to rant and rave about you speaks volumes and, and I, I've been looking forward to this conversation uh, for, for a while now. And um, I, I really want to just like dig right in. Um, but something else that I, I want to touch on, just like, it's not like they just said, Hey, adorable, come come down to training because uh, oh we can't. no, yeah, they recruit you, yeah, they, yeah, uh, and they they everybody has to have a vote, and they have to vote you in, and and so, like, it's a big deal for someone to get a state of Florida instructor two and live fire training instructor, well, and and then not only that, but you're a, a tech rescue guy. Um, do you, do you serve on Task Force One? Not yet. Not yet? You're Soon. They got a, oh yeah, they got a new recruitment coming up and I'm hoping, hoping at 14 or 15 years I can I get on a team, man. I can't wait, man. That's one of my dreams. That's actually been one of my main goals since I got on to get on that team. Like um, to, to hear about uh, earthquakes in Haiti, you know, my mom, my mom and dad from Haiti. It's like, man, send me, man. Um, and honestly, anywhere, I just want to go. I want to be the one that goes, man. Like nobody wants to stay home. Well, if you're a fireman, that's how you think. Send me, you know. Well, one more thing that I want to touch on, we'll and we'll come back to it um, before we uh, really dive in. But Mike, let me know that you developed this training program and you will be teaching it for the first time outside of uh, Miami-Dade at the Orlando Fire Conference this mm -hmm. year. Um, right. and, and it's titled The Way of the Nozzle. Um, I'll have you talk a little bit about that training program a little bit later, but like, uh, I, I'm curious, like, did you grow up in Miami? Are you a, a native yeah, Floridian? Yeah, grew, grew up in Miami, Florida. Um, Miami, Florida, poor. <laughs> uh, um, well, but yeah, I grew up in Miami, um, but I always see red trucks. Um, never seen a lot of black firemen. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, growing up, but I did always see the trucks, man. Out of high school, I, I applied straight up, oh, straight away. Um, highly in Miami Data, I applied and I never got a call, so I went up to uh, college for a little bit. Where, where'd you go to college? Tallahassee Community College. All right. Why did and I came back down? <laughs> Why'd you go to Tallahassee? Following friends. Oh, okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about your life growing up. You, you said your mom and dad uh, they came from Haiti. Yeah. Right? And so they, they came to Miami and what did your mom and dad do when you were growing up? Man, 
that's crazy because I just spoke at this uh, high school and I was telling them about my mom. Um, actually, I'm going to be a, a speaker at the Florida um, Orlando Florida um, Fire Conference. I'm going to be a, give me a 20 minute block to speak. And in that when I do speak, I plan on speaking about a, um, just like you, a book I want to write called Inspiration Isn't Enough. Um, so when I speak about that, um, it's basically talking about my mom, about where my inspiration came from. And from that, it uh, drove me to be motivated. My mom would uh, walk one and a half miles to catch uh, two buses to get to work and two buses back home and then walk another one and a half miles and come home and cook dinner and clean. And she'd do it again the next day. Uh, so I used to always say, how could you not be motivated by that? Um, by someone who never made more than $17,000 a year. Um, you know, so my inspiration and my motivation comes from my mother. When I was, uh, my dad, um, we don't have too much of a relationship. But my dad was there. He was, he was present. Um, he was in the home. We didn't talk much. He didn't talk to much to us, but, um, but he was there. But uh, my mom made, my mom was able to, I don't know how, man. I don't know. I always ask my sister, like, how in the hell, like, if she never made $17,000, how do we have this house? She still has the house. It's, it's actually this year be paid off in three months. Um, I'm still in shock, man, that she was able to do this for us to have four kids, college graduates, man, that, you know, that, that's not something that always happened. So, so. You, you have three siblings? Oh uh, yeah, my dad has a total of twelve. So, and but my mom only had four. Okay. But we all consider us brothers and sisters, regardless of uh, different moms. My brother, he's like a metal developer. Uh, with he makes metal for like aviation corporations and other big corporations. My uh, oldest sister, she's a nurse anesthetist. She's able to give like um, shots or prescriptions. My youngest sister works for downtown. Uh, mommy Dave. She's in the FRS system. She's doing pretty good for herself. I don't know. I don't see the connection between the fire service. Like how, what, what really drove you to? I wanted to go to the military. I wanted to go to the military. And um, at, when I was about to graduate high school, I'm like, all right, man, my brother had gotten arrested, went to prison. Um, and I was like, man, I'm going to go to the military because something's, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to me. Um, and I just wanted to, but my mom didn't want me to go. So I was like, there's, there's nothing else. I military, military. I don't want to be a cop. I'll become a, I'll become a fireman. And my cousin got hired with poor St. Lucie fire while we were all in the process and he got hired and he's just telling me everything. So I'm like, ah, oh, man, can't wait. Like, I'm just like salivating over everything that he's doing. Like he's telling me all the jobs he's getting and, um, you know, him, you know, at the station. And I was just, I just, I knew I wanted it. And um, I just wanted to be a fireman, man. Let's, let's go back to like the beginning of your career. Who were, who were some of your early influences that kind of, because from, from what, Mike has told me and, and really seeing like how motivated and driven you are in your videos and stuff. Like, I, I know part of that 
comes from your mother's influence, but there's a passion that is, it's not as common as a lot of people might think, you know, in the fire service. Because when you think of the, the fire service, you know, firefighters like always like jam up gung ho, but that's uh, really not the case. Man, to, to nail it down to one thing will be kind of crazy, but I remember um, even telling uh, these high schoolers what saved me and what drove me to be um, determined. I was determined um, from uh, doing um, things I shouldn't be doing on the streets to um, try and take control of my life. My son was born. Uh, when my son was born and I had gone to minimum standards, that was it. He saved my life. Um, from there on, I knew that um, one, I had to right walk the straight and narrow. You can't make any turns and it's gonna be bad. I used to work for um, this place called Day Labor when I was in minimum standards and um, I didn't have a vehicle or nothing like that, but my, uh, my wife now, she, would, she was my girlfriend at the time, she would drop me off. Some days you can make $50, some days you can make $20. Uh, some days you can't get it, can't get a job. And I remember how humbling that was. And I remember how humbling it was to, to catch a bus. But you know, I, I was used to it. Um, but uh, just the experience of not having enough money or not having enough of anything and not allowing myself to be broken. Um, and just to stay the course. By the time I got onto the department, I was still a uh, poor shit, man. Um, still trying to pay things back. So whatever I was making was not really, for me, I was not really making anything. And uh, um, just, you know, trying to make ends meet was, was pretty rough for the first two, three years. And, um, and finally, by the time I got on my feet, I had realized, I looked and I realized, man, look what you've been through, man. And just that realization, it hit me all at once. Yeah, I can't believe you didn't break like, you know? And um, me not breaking was a testament to uh, who, I, who I was uh, becoming. And I knew I had the, I knew I had a voice. I really, I really knew I had a voice to, uh, to motivate and uplift. So why not share it? So when I see um, some recruits or you know, even the guys at the station, they're low. And, you know, give them a little something, man. We're all going to die. I mean, we're all going to hurt. It's going to be rough. We're going to go in there. We might get burnt. It's going to be hard. We'll do it together. Um, and it's going to suck. <laughs> we know that, though, man. So I'm not real familiar with with the neighborhoods and stuff in, in Miami, but you know, people listening will will probably rec. You know, some of the people that are listening will recognize. Like, where where did you grow up? What part of town? I was born in Little Haiti. Um, actually, I was born in a taxi cab. If you want to be, <laughs> I always tell people that. Um, but yeah, I was born in Little Haiti. And um, from the homes, we we lost a lot of homes. We moved a lot. A lot of a lot of apartments, uh, North Miami, Liberty City, 
um, rough areas. You, you talked a little bit about your son. You, you've got four boys, right? And you, Correct, yeah. How, how long have you been married now? Shoot, we've been together 16 years. Um, yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Not easy, especially like, well, you know, the firefighters are always yeah. screwing shit up with their marriages. <laughs> Trust me, man. The last thing I want is a divorce. I told her, I said, man, I didn't get married to get a divorce, man. We just, let's work this out. <laughs> but no, nah, she's a, she's a real good person, man. She's a teacher. Nice. Most yeah. firemen seem to get teachers. Uh, or nurses. Nurses and occasional cop. <laughs> <laughs> kind of funny. Crazy. Now, I want to talk a little bit about really what led you to develop this, this program that you're teaching the way of the nozzle. Mm -hmm. um, well, first, why don't you tell us what this, this program entails and then really how, how you've developed it over time and what inspired you to actually do it. Yeah. So when I got to recruit training, one of the things Yetta would always say is leave it better than you found. I'm pretty sure you've heard that before yeah. from being in the military to everywhere in life. But, and that one thing stuck with me. I could never stop trying every class. I'm like, what can I do better? What can I do better? From the rig program to the to dressing the tools to creating all types of classes for the program. I could go on and on from the um, paying uh, love to the water can stuff that wasn't in the program in the curriculum i'm vapping up uh our rick program to to go do a whole real drill you know a pittsburgh drill um building props so i remember just how um for those that aren't in the fire service what's what's the pittsburgh drill pittsburgh drill is a drill based on a rapid intervention um techniques or excuse me teams to perform a rescue on one of our down members you go through about three obstacles you follow a hose line get to the end of the hose line and you found a down fireman and you you have to get him out the same way you came in uh, not easy so uh, it's not an easy task the way the team is supposed to work is when the first team is supposed to go there package them and then a the second team is supposed to go in and take them out but even then i mean from learning from what I know now from RIT team to firefighter survival, firefighter survival probably outweighs the RIT team every time, just because the RIT teams uh, has 6% probability of saving them. Until so, I mean, the intel shows, the data shows, I mean, the, the crews inside have a more better chance of saving the ones that they're around, so. But um, we still gotta pay, uh, make sure we train our firemen about RIT, but I feel like Focusing more on firefighter survival two to three times a year would be best then. You could save yourself and your brothers and sisters around you. And what are some of the obstacles that you utilize when you're doing the Pittsburgh drill? In the Pittsburgh drill, you have an up and over, which is like a triangular object. Uh, you go up and over that. We have a stud 16 on 16 on center for a uh, the studs like a wall, if you breach the wall, whereas uh, drywall, you breach the wall and you go through that. 
And then you have a coffin box, which is a two foot by two foot opening, eight feet in length. And you got to get through that with all your full firefighter ensemble um, and pack with the with the package with the package fireman. And you got to get him through with all your members. And one of the things we do stress on with that is radio communication and always getting back to command on where your uh, air status is with all your members with the lowest air status. So we try to harp on that. Um, one of the things we do grade the recruits on is getting to the down firemen and getting them on air. Even though they're out of air, they could work their way out. But at least we got to our brother, sister, packaged them, got them on air, let them know, hey, reassured them, and uh, we can get them out, hopefully, with another team. And and you're doing this drill for time, the, the more 20, efficient. Yeah, 20 minutes um, is the time that you have allotted, but most of them, I mean, we've had good turnout. Turnout. We've done it in 13 minutes. Some, I mean, just don't, don't they fail, but it's, it's all on you. Just like uh, 55, 55 Fire says, uh, are you, can, can you, or you, what does that says? Uh, do you want you saving you? You know, I mean, we signed up for this job. Are you physically fit to perform this job or the task that entails? So, I mean, uh, some of them are. So some of them are not. And, and it's, it's, it's why it's, it's uh, eye opener. For real, do that drill and then you're going to be like, wow. You know, I let you down. No, you didn't let me down. You let that guy inside down. That's part of your story leading up to developing this program. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So those are just some of the things that I brought to the table. I mean, just to change the curriculum around. And uh, so they let me teach engine three quarter, the second class. The second class I taught engine three quarter. And I'm in love with hose management. You know, host management, communications, working corners, um, occupying space and understanding um, how the workspace is based on minimum manning and stuff like that. But we never had time for a true nozzle discipline. We never had time. The, the curriculum was so tight. There were never windows. It was just, let's hit this, let's hit this. And... Our program is so performance objective driven. And man, I wish there was like a way to ask the department for four extra weeks. Nobody wants to be in there for like more than they have to, but um, we found a way to squeeze in a week that we call advanced week. So with that week, we were able to squeeze in advanced um, skills for certain, um, for certain, um, things that we do on the fire ground. So we have an advanced skill station for ladders, advanced skill stations for inch and three quarter. And we call those, that, that whole week is called advanced week. So my day with inch and three quarter is called the way of the nozzle, which is what I titled it. So the way of the nozzle was um, basically built on, firstly, no, nozzle discipline and the respect to the fire attack team from uh, the deployment um, to a lot of things that they're doing around the country that um, might be beneficial to you that you might see out in our department that we're not showing you here because of the time. So because the time constraints, we're not able to show them um, more um, advanced uh, deployments and other tactics that some officers use. So what I did, I recruited like-minded individuals that um, are engaged like me to do certain skill stations from hoisting um, hose up to a, a third floor balcony to um, having all your hose there with you 
at front of the door, but neatly in a in an efficient um, time and efficient efficiently and less time consuming. And just how to properly um, man that line by yourself. I always let them know you might be on that line for yourself for a little bit. You got to be able to man that line for a little while. I'm going to show you how. I'm going to show you how to move and flow with the line and why you move and flow with the line in like a warehouse or something. If you it keeps uh, rare its head, you have to move and flow. Um, so, and the best thing I thought we brought out of it was the doorman because I have a lot of people tell me, hey, what do you do as a doorman? What do you do? And just that was like, that's it right there. So from the nozzle to the door, we paid tribute to the fire attack team from the guy, the backup guy. Um, and back with his shirt, it says uh, the doorman, the eyes and the muscle. So that guy's the most taxed individual on the fire ground. If he's not, you guys are doing something wrong. And if you are not opening up that line and just taking the assault by the, the thermal heat that's above you, you're not trained. So we try to talk about this uh, at the skill stations, a two-hour skill station block. We try to cover as much as we can, and hopefully they remember some things and take the class again, and they'll remember something else. You're talking about the, the doormen and yeah. how important they are. Why is that individual so important? That individual will make or break the assignment, man. I mean, that guy with knowing that your team's inside and they're counting on you to move holes from outside in, um, they're counting on you to make sure you can check conditions if the smoke is changing, um, you know, they can make a significant difference by if they don't notice it inside, you can kind of pull the hose line back to let them know, hey, we got to get you guys out or you guys have to have some type of form of communication. Um, not to go up, uh, up on the line, but we also talk about nonverbal comms. So with the doorman there pulling the hose line will be another nonverbal comm that everybody should be aware of. If he's pulling on that line, that's a, that's a message he's trying to send you that it might be an urgent or something you might have to get out without having to uh, you know, notify the driver to sound the horn or something like that. This is urgent. And the officer talking through the, the nozzle firefighter through the helmet by taps on the helmet for direction, direction uh, to direct the um, stream somewhere. But that doorman, he can see it all because they don't understand. They, sometimes you won't see the, the flames licking above your head, but he can if it's licking above the door where he's at, unless he's inside of the structure. But he can also control the door itself, um, at least by keeping it in a gap as much as the hose line and moving some hose in. But I just feel like that guy's uh, probably outside after the nozzle person. He's probably the second most important person on that on that line. And What's interesting that, so a, a lot of people listening may not be real familiar, maybe they're aspiring firefighters, but when you talk about communication on the fire ground, a lot of it is nonverbal, nonverbal. because when everything is, is being established, all everybody's roles on that scene, you've got the incident commander talking with the officers, giving direction and, and people giving information back to the incident commander, there's a lot of radio traffic. So you're not always going to be able to just communicate over the radio. Correct. Um, and that can be frustrating if you don't have 
an awareness of how to communicate non-verbally like what you're saying taps yeah. on the helmet you gotta train that's the thing too some people don't train you get a new member at the station don't expect him to know if you tap me on the helmet to the right that i'm going to turn the nozzle to the right he's going to be like what do you want or shut the line down so you got to train um, if you don't train with your personnel especially when a new uh bid period comes a bid period is just uh when new members come into a, a new station or something like that but you gotta train i like to talk a lot about leadership uh, on this show and it's always beneficial to get different perspectives and as a firefighter a senior firefighter um can you maybe talk to really your philosophy on leadership and how how your role as a leader on the team um plays out over time mm -hmm. so i mean as far as leadership goes first first and foremost um my officer i'd like him to be a, a strong individual as far as i'm um, strong-minded smart not making uh decisions based on whatever it's in a book just because it's in a book sometimes the scene the scene will dictate what we do and it might not be written down um so smart and tactful and also trusting your guys but the way you build trust with your members is on the fire ground so we got to go out we got to train and we'll show you that we can perform up to task or whatever you think we have to be performing at the, at as far as trusting us, I mean, he doesn't really, from working with us day in and day out, he can expect us to lead um, in his absence. So if he's not there, he's doing something out back or he's outside command and it's just me and uh, the door, the doorman, he can expect us to perform the task without fail um, just by doing our jobs. And um, whenever I have a junior member on the truck, it's, uh, it's not just a regular truck checkout. It's more detailed as far as assignments goes um, nozzle placement, what side of the baffle it's on, his job as far as the way we load it from the different deployments he hasn't seen. So it's more it's more work for me to do that, but I'd rather um, cover that with him. If something happens at 6 a.m. or something, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you did this before? That's on me. So my officer should be able to trust me with that information, that he doesn't have to divulge to him just because he's the officer, he can trust his, uh, his senior guys. So what I'm hearing is as the senior firefighter on a crew, you got to own that position. You got to have ownership of that truck, of the equipment, and take responsibility for the junior guys. Like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. you have an opportunity to teach somebody something, to pass on lessons that you've learned. And to me, leadership boiled down, it's all about adding value to the people that you're leading. And it doesn't matter what position you're in. If you have the ability to add value to somebody and you don't take that opportunity, you kind of drop the ball. And I, and I like yeah. that mindset that you have of taking ownership and yeah. 
so yeah no man that's that's freaking cool so what advice would you give to an aspiring firefighter or, or a recruit firefighter um how how should they approach the this early time of their career um everything i've done is always head down not not physically head down but humble humble and um, humble on your approach you may know something but uh, that doesn't mean you won't hear it again and again so remain humble Um, remain disciplined and remain disciplined as far as you know what the end goal is so don't come up showing like uh, uh sloppy or something i'll say something else but don't come up showing up out of shape you know i mean that's kind of a slap in the face for something you said you wanted so bad and you came and you showed up like this um just remember that um everything that we do there's a reason it's organized chaos when you cross that line i always tell them you lost your first name your first name is recruit you have to earn it um you'll have to earn that back and at the end you'll get a maltese cross in your left breast it doesn't mean nothing um, by the time you get out there, we'll judge you for who you are and your character and operations because sometimes they just, you know, they put on a show for you while they're in recruit training. And then when they get out there, they become the person they're really supposed to be after their year of probation. And you find out who they truly are. But we sometimes you can tell, but I always tell them, man, go with your heart, stay humble and just eager to learn, man. But come in shape, please. I, I think that, a lot of times people get complacent, you know, after they got a couple of years under their belt, they start slacking off mm-hmm. and get soft. And with, with this job, I mean, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, our physical health plays such a big role in our mental health. Yeah. And this job, you know, firefighting, going and seeing all the different ways that other people, nature, machinery, all the different ways that can like rip apart a body, Mm -hmm. that stuff stays with you. And if you're body isn't healthy the chemicals that are released and you know when you're when you're stressed because that you know that's a stress response um those chemicals that are released when you're exposed to traumatic events they can play a role in cancers and heart disease and all all kinds of different diseases that you'll see a higher incident or a higher um, incidence of in the fire service. And it's, it's sad. We did a drill the other day where we had to a uh, high rise drill. It was not really a drill where we deployed holes and stuff like that. It was everybody just make it up to 18 floor. So everybody put everything on their back. Um, you could see some of the members were like, you know, some of them are like, are we really doing this? I'm like, yeah, we're actually, we're actually doing this. So every time I'm there, right there, I was like, man, please don't come up with no crazy stuff. I'm like, nah, we're not doing nothing crazy. I always try to do something every shift. So I'm just like, we're just going up. So, you know, the captain actually set it up and uh, we, um, 
we started, we packed it all our stuff, heavy as heck. You know, it's going to be heavy. It's a lot of stuff. We start going up and sure enough, you can start seeing it. Some of us were not ready. So by the time we get to the fifth floor, we lose somebody, sixth, seventh, lose somebody else. And then by the time we, we all made it up there, not all of us, the people who made it up there, I mean, you know, we could see that this was not going to be a successful um, job if we had to do this job. So every, we went back down and we, we took all, off our ensemble, took everything off. And I was like, uh, you know, just a little, little something to give them. I said, man, we are not ready to save these people on the 18th floor. We're not ready to save these people on the seventh floor. We're not ready. Because if something happened and they were relying on us, you're going to tell me all of a sudden you're going to get the juice to get up there. We're not ready. So, and that was an eye opener for them, for everyone, for me, because not just because I got up there, but I can't do it. Three guys or two guys. We need everybody. It can't just be just um, one truck making it. We need everybody to do this. So I decided Sundays were just going to be days. We, we went up to the 18th floor and uh, <laughs> They don't really like that, but <laughs> <laughs> so. But I mean, just the the act of getting all the gear up there to the 18th floor. It's a lot. That's just the first step. That's it. Because then you gotta go to work. Yeah. So in this, uh, if you noticed, uh, I had this thing I created, um, the for my for them sticker. Um, so um, it says honor the honor honor the oath and hold true to the mission for them. So that's been my message for a while because it's not about us. When you took that oath and you you said that mission statement, you signed it away. Every third day when you show up, you signed you signed your um, whatever it is you come to work for. It's not for a it's not a job anymore. It's for them. It's it's for the people that are waiting for us. They're waiting to be saved. So. They need us. They require us to show up in shape and ready to do this job. If we show up and we can't get up to whatever floor it is, we can't do nothing, man. I mean, you know how many lives would be up there screaming for us? So it's important. It's imperative, man, that we train. Um, we train to fail, but, you know, through failure, man, we'll learn where our shortcomings are. We'll get better. So say that one more time the, for them. Oh, for them, I mean, we honor honor the oath, hold true to the mission for them. Um, that's my my sticker. So, do you sell those stickers? Yeah. Do you have a website that you sell them on, or nah, just around the station? All, it's all part of the the way the nozzle stuff. Oh, um, nice. Separate, yeah, separate stuff for that. It's actually, it's been making waves, man. I just anything I always try to do or hashtag. When it used to be a pound sign, I don't know why they changed it to a hashtag. Like it used to be a pound sign, like when I was growing up. <laughs> so I would like pound sign for them. <laughs> but yeah, man. You've got a page set up where people can follow you and and your program the way of the nozzle, right? Correct. Yeah. What what is what platform is that? And that's Instagram. Instagram. I'll send you the, yeah, I'll send you the link. 
right. Hey, I'll have that in the show notes. And it's just the way of the nozzle? Well, there's uh, underscores and stuff like that. That's just a line at the bottom. They separate words with now. It's called an underscore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be easier for, for the old guys to just click on yeah. the link in the show notes. Right? Yeah. That <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the men and women that have influenced your career? Um, some that have, because I, I know that I've got certain individuals throughout my career that have had an impact, um, whether it's how I trained or my mindset on leadership or whatever, but like there's different people that came in and out of my life throughout my career that really had big impacts on me. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm curious, like if you'd be willing to talk about some yeah, of the a lot of times um something that gets me right is i'm an avid reader right so a lot of times it's just smart people man i'm infatuated with smart people so like uh in minimum standards i remember uh steven captain steven martell and i always remember this line every time i see him i'm like man that was like 18 years ago. Well, maybe 19 or something, I don't know, 19 years ago. And I remember his line was, if you think you're right, um, you're, you are, or if you think you're wrong, you're wrong or something like that. Whatever the line was, it's a pretty famous quote. I just quoted it wrong, I butchered it. <laughs> but, um, but I always remember that. And I just, oh, I remember when going home thinking about that, like, and it makes so much sense. And he just, that motivated me a lot too, just listening to that. Outside of that, um, when I got to the fifth battalion, like in my uh, second year, I knew this is where I belonged. I knew I belonged in the fifth battalion. From station two and station seven, though, that's where, that was it. There were some members there that were just, man, this guy, Ralph Carrillo, uh, Billy McCann, these guys were just, you couldn't stop them. And they're older than you. And you like, Man, I want to sit down, but he doesn't want to sit down. <laughs> and for the life of me, like uh, one day I wanted to work as hard as Billy. Seven o'clock came like Billy, bro. We have to sit down, bro. Like, and he was like, "No, nah, go in there, go in there, Doyle." <laughs> I was like, "I'm going inside." <laughs> and he was—he just still to tell today he's. 20 plus years on, I mean, I've never seen anyone outwork this guy. It still amazes me. I had a lieutenant that got demoted. Um, I'm not going to mention his name because, yeah, I mean, you know what? His name is Eli Cadet. I mean, he has to be over that story already. And he would train. He would give us a whole bunch of drills and scenarios. And we had so many fires. And he was such a smart fireman. He was so smart. And I just remember how impressed I was every time we had a fire and every time he showed me something. And I was like, man, that's crazy. And I'm like, man, I wanna be, I wanna be like this guy. Like, I wanna be smart. You know, I'm like, um, I wanna, you know, I would ask him all types of questions. So how do you know, what do you do? He read something or he's like, no, you just train. So I'm like, man, I, I need to train. So I'm like hyped up and like, so what are we doing? Like, 
we're not training today. Like, so how do I, how do I become like you? <laughs> you know? And I had a firefighter, Christopher Bryant. Uh, Christopher Bryant was uh, just a, uh, um, he's, he has, he's at station seven on B shift and he just leads like a real senior man. Every time I give a lecture to my recruits or anything that pertains to uh, leadership or ownership of the truck, um, as the, the senior man at the back of the rig, the tailboard, I always make mention of him because that guy, not that he took my hand, but he guided me in a way just by just me watching him work. So me much watching him work was, uh, was an honor, was an honor, still is, man. I always tell him, tell this day I'm humbled by uh, just him, you know, guiding me, man. And what was crazy was when I got back from training, after I came back to the house, Chris had worked on a shift with me and he came to me and he said, um, let me ask you a question. Um, this probie came and asked me, what, um, what does a doormat do? And I was like, I was like, you told her, right? He's like, no, I really didn't know what to tell her. I was hoping you could, you could tell me. And that took me aback. I was like, wow. One of the guys that I look up to is asking me a question which was awesome. Cause I was like, Chris actually knows a good amount of stuff. He knows the things to do, but he didn't think of it the way I was going to, I was about to tell him, you know? And for him to ask me was like, I can't believe this. Have I come full circle? <laughs> and then, you know, like, and I'm just like, wow. I think there's is- a, I think there's a lesson in that. Just that right there. That's, it was crazy to me, man. Cause no matter how how high up you are, the yeah. respect that you command, you've always got to maintain that humility, being humble. Like you don't always have the answer. Yeah. And and be humble enough to ask the person that does. Which first I thought he was he was playing with me. So I was like, get out of here, Chris, man. Leave me alone, bro. He's like, no, serious, man. And he was like, and we just both started laughing. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, man. So I got my gear out, took all the wedges out, and we did a whole, and it became a whole two-hour ordeal. And it was awesome to be able to finally give him something. So I was like, man, it only took me 14 years. But finally, but um when I got to training, man, um, I always knew I looked up to Yetter. And just to be around him was awesome all the time because I knew he was going to say something that I was like, man, I'm going to write that down. He always says something that I'm like, damn, Cap, like, wow, give me a second. Let me write that down. And he always captures me. And, you know, with his, um, his, his love for fire chemistry and what's happening inside of the structure became my love, too, because uh, I wanted to understand that. So I started reading the books that he read. And I just started to um, get more involved in that. Um, and I looked up to him for that, man. And that was just somebody that I'm just, I respect that guy through the, I mean, I, he could tell you. He could tell you, man, because I, she's like. Well, I, I actually wrote a little bit about him in my book. Mike and I met in EMT school um, when he first got out of the army. And we were the top of the class and we were the class clowns. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it was me, him, and another guy. 
that we just made straight A's, but we were always cutting up in class. It was just, and we made the instructors laugh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Mike and I, we hung out all the time and we ended up moving in together. Um, and, you know, he got hired on with Miami Dade. And, and at the time, you know, we were living in central Florida. So he, he moved and, you know, he was like, man, you got to come down here. There, you know, there's no spots on the department, but they got openings in the sheriff's office. You can do that and then cross over. And I'm like, there's no freaking way. <laughs> You're crazy, man. So, so anyways, I, he had already had standards. I didn't. So I did EMT school first and then went to standards and he did standards first and then went to EMT school. So we met there and our careers have kind of paralleled, even though he was, you know, like a year ahead of me uh, getting hired, maybe a little bit more. Um, I think, I think he got hired in either 97 or 98 and I got hired. Yes, 24 years on. Yeah. And, and I got hired on with Orange County in 99. I was working as a, a reserve or a volunteer for Martin County when I was going through standards and all that stuff. Um, like at that time they would do training at the station. And then once you like had a certain level of training you could get bunker gear and be allowed to fight fire um and then the fact that i was going to standards uh made me kind of an asset even though i didn't know shit um, <laughs> yeah but but so like the first you know couple of years of me being in the fire service i was a, a reserve or volunteer and um, well reserved because it's a paid department and they had at that time, I think they had one volunteer fire station that covered Jensen beach. And that's where I was at. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, uh, when I got on with the department, you know, we just, we did our thing and we'd share stories and all that. And then he got promoted to Lieutenant. And it was a couple of years later. Like, I, I actually think that he might've been a captain by the time I made Lieutenant. Cause like I got promoted to engineer Orange County has engineers. It's a natural mm -hmm. rank. Um, Cause like you guys, you bid for the spot, but you still. Right, we like, don't, yeah. There's no uh, outside of officer positions. Those are the only uh, promotions. So so I did engineer, then I made lieutenant. And when I made lieutenant, I had already been riding as officer. Like when my lieutenant was on vacation and stuff, I would ride uh -huh. as officer. Um, you know, I got all my officer classes and all that stuff. And that goes to training for the position above you and teaching the person junior to you, your current position. You know, 
if you have that mindset throughout your career, you'll constant, constantly mm -hmm. grow, right? Correct. Well, when I made lieutenant, I went to a crew that was established and it was on the other side of the county. And I, I didn't know any of those guys or, and actually my engineer was a woman who had spent almost her entire career in special operations. Uh -huh. So her wealth of knowledge was insane. And then I had all these senior firefighters that they had already established like their bond. Correct. And, yeah. And then here I am coming in and I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to talk to anybody around there about my fears. So I talked to Yetter and he's like, he's like, Oh man, you got to read this book. And then he just starts rattling off books that I need to read. Mm -hmm. And I read them and like, we'd have conversations about leadership, leading under pressure and, you know, situations that you can't prepare for. Correct. You know, and to, to be able to lead, lead people that have more experience than you that is, is something man. I always think about that. Well, the book that, so there's two books that I read that I still pull from today. It's, it's your ship by Captain Abershoff. And first in, last out by Sulka. Um, so, Captain Abershoff, he was the captain of a ship in the Navy. So that's where it comes from. It's your ship, correct? And uh, and that was his mindset. That was how he led. Is he like let let the crew know that it was their ship? And they should have pride in that. And if they had ideas, they could bring it to him. Like he had this, this way of communicating with the crew from the top to the bottom. And he instilled that mindset of, I want every person on board ship to train for the position above them. And I want them teaching their position to the person below them. Below them. And... <clears throat> That does so much for a team. Yeah, because if somebody calls out sick or something, or somebody goes down, we could just move pieces. Right. But it also instills a level of trust. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And that's what solid teams are built on. When you can trust everybody on that crew Never to do will. their job and to be looking out for you. You know, because everybody knows everybody's job. And that's important on the fire ground. Yeah. You got to know what that guy's doing. So you, everyone should know everyone's job. That way, you know, you know what's the next step. Yeah. And then that the first in, last out is a level of ownership that if you're leading, you're the, you're the first one going in. And you're not leaving until you get everybody out or the job is done, you know? 
And, and so that mindset is when, when your crew knows that they are your priority, everything comes together so much mm -hmm. better. And, and so that is, that's just some of the stuff that Mike and I would talk about, you know, over the phone or, you know, whenever we would visit one another, um, like, and I know he, he, can get, he can get lost in a lot of things when you guys are talking, I know his mind is going a thousand places, man, but his, his, um, influence, I think he downplays a lot. He's very humble, but he's influenced people across the country. Yeah. And like, I think you'll find that as you grow in your career, like you'll never know how many people's lives you've impacted. Um, Reggie McKnight, mm -hmm. like that guy, that's another guy that Mike introduced me to said, man, you got to talk to this guy. And, and I did. And like being able to share, you know, perspectives and like how those perspectives developed over time, what, what drives somebody it, I don't know, to me, that is one of the most interesting things about leading people is figuring out what drives them and, and really what drives leaders. Yeah. Good leaders. And if, if you think about it and you're a reader, the thing that drives all great leaders is their desire to improve everything around them, around them, to add value to those people that they're leading, to leave it better than when you got there. Facts, man. That was strong. Right. That was strong right there. I like yeah. that, man. The impact that others make on you to better yourself as a leader and the person, man. I always tell, yeah, I can't, um, I can't thank him enough. You know, was, I always tell him, but just like you said, he's extremely humble. Those are two of my mentors, Reginald McKnight and Mike Yetter. I have other mentors as well, but those two stick out. Um, so uh, let, me, let me pose this question to you. Like out of the people that you work with and have worked with, who do you think views you as a mentor? Views me as a mentor? I have a few. There's a lot of people um, who's actually told me if they could shadow me a lot of times, from Marin Lopez to uh, Vivian Martinez to, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of names I can rattle off. But how, you know, how does that make you feel? Just, you know, I don't, I don't want to claim like I'm somebody because I'm not even there yet. So. But it's, it's, it's humble, humble, man. Right. It's humbling. It's a humbling experience to know that um, some of my words have impacted people across the country. I mean, they played, I seen this guy send me a footage of them playing um, one of my speeches 
and there was like 50 people around a speaker. I was like, holy crap. There was 50 firemen around a speaker, and I was like, no way. And they're listening to it. I'm like, this is crazy. And I'm just thinking like, wow. And I remember Reggie saying, because mm, he told me the speech I gave the day before, they didn't record it. He said that speech was better. And the speech that they played, that they were playing on the internet, he was like, where the hell did that come from? I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> You, it's just it, sometimes it feels like in the morning I get to work and I have to say it, I have to give a message. And that was so crazy to see. And I'm gonna go see these those guys, those guys that had the speaker, and uh I'm gonna go see them in March. I got the ticket to go check them out. Um where's that at me up, Georgia? Nice. They invited me up there, the bearers of the oath. Um, and I'm like, I'm psyched. I'm like, man, I want to see these. I want to see these these brothers I got across the country. That's cool as shit, man. Yeah, man, I got invitations to uh, just because of those videos from Massachusetts, Indiana, North Carolina. Like, it's crazy. I can't believe how words um, can impact somebody, but uh, you can believe that because if you're a lover of books and words, you understand. So when you read a book, um, you put yourselves in the author's vision or the main character's, main character's uh, story. And you become that, you become those words. So when I, when I say my words of motivation, I'd, I'd hope that you feel them and they encourage you. If you could pick an audience to, to hear you talk about what you're most passionate about, who would that audience be and what would you say? Wow, that is a tricky question. I'm a, that's a, the audience. I mean, I would hope that the audience understands what I'm trying to reinforce inside of their minds. I want you to fall in love with the job again. So the best way I know to do it is by uh, preaching to you why I'm inspired and why I'm motivated. So if I can motivate you um, and tell you how much I love this job and tell you why you do this job and why it's no longer for us or for the dollar that you make, it's for those people calling your name. You know, when I said that, um, those words in the, one of my speeches to the graduation class, I said, they're waiting for you at the windows, behind the doors, down the smoke-filled hallways, they're waiting to be saved. It's for them. It's no longer for us. So the people that I truly want to speak to is just a, uh, the people who are receptive to this message and understand that um, five, 10 years down the road, don't lose love for the job because those people that are waiting for us, they haven't lost hope in the fire service. So until you got 30 years and you're ready to get out of here, you got to keep going. I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time to, to, well, let this interview happen and just share some of your influences and, and some of your passion with, with the audience. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content.
My goal is, and always will be, to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts, linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.